Hi, everyone. This is Redlines, and I'm Anya Parmpil. My guest today is Juan Passarelli. He's a journalist whose recent film is The War on Journalism, The Case of Julian Assange. Welcome to Redlines, Juan. Thank you. You are in London, set to cover the Assange extradition hearings this week. Has the court made these hearings accessible to the media? The court has not made it very accessible to the media. There's only going to be space for 10 uh, journalists. Uh, and I'm not even sure if they have picked uh, certain journalists or if it's going to be a first come, first serve. Um, the rest of the media, as far as I understand it, there was about 89 of them uh, throughout the world, were given a link, that's including myself, a link to a video live feed. Um, but the problem is that uh, we've been using these types of technologies from the court all throughout uh, the administrative phase from February up to now. And there has only been one occasion where the technology actually worked. Uh, sometimes the audio is just is not audible at all, or sometimes the journalists are just left out of the room, or it, it just doesn't work. We're stuck in a different courtroom hearing a different case. So it's been an absolute and utter mess. And uh, this is a different court, but it's hard for me to comprehend that they might be a lot better. So uh, although we're going to be doing our best to cover the case, it is very quite possible that only the 10 journalists inside would be able to get full knowledge about what's uh, actually happening. That's, that's unfortunate and disturbing for those of us who want a clear picture of what's going on, especially considering what happened earlier this year, the way they were treating Assange, preventing him from speaking to his lawyers in a, in a confidential manner and putting him on display in this very bizarre glass box meant for dangerous defendants. I, I hope that we'll get a clear picture of what's really going on. What is the latest you understand regarding Assange's health and state of mind and also his ability to communicate with lawyers in the lead up to this hearing? Okay, so starting with his ability to to um, speak to his lawyers, this is the most disturbing part. Julian has not been given uh, the right to a fair defense. He hasn't seen his lawyers for six months, uh, not, not on video, not in person, because nobody is allowed uh, to, to visit Belmarsh um, uh, prison because of COVID conditions. He's locked in a room. Uh, for 23 and a half hours a day. Um, there was a superseding indictment that the, the, the Department of Justice issued on the 24th of, uh, of June, but it was only given to the court on the 14th of August, which is three weeks ago. Um, and uh, Julian has not been able to read it. So he hasn't even been able to read the charges that he's facing and he's going to see his 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 uh, lawyers for the first time tomorrow at the hearing. So, I mean, what kind of justice is that? Um, concerning his health, uh, it is actually deeply worrying. Uh, his uh, partner and two children went to visit him for the first time uh, a week and a half ago. And 
he was not allowed to get close to them uh, under the threat that he would be put under absolute isolation for 14 days if he touched the children. Uh, he was given a mask for the first time uh, since COVID began um, um, to see that his family. Um, he's uh, reportedly lost a lot of weight. He's in physical pain. He has an injury in, from, in his shoulder uh, that happened quite a few years back while he was exercising in the embassy and practicing some boxing. Uh, he injured his shoulder and it's still a big problem. Uh, he has a sprained ankle, um, uh, so physically he's in a lot of pain. And uh, uh, as you probably are aware, or, or uh, uh, the special rapporteur on torture, Niels Melser, uh, has examined him with uh, two expert medical experts. Uh, this is the UN special rapporteur on torture um, and has uh, delivered a report to the United Kingdom saying that he displayed all the symptoms of a person who is uh, under psychological torture. And the UK took six months to reply. And their reply was a one pager saying we're not doing anything about it, basically. Um, and that he's not under torture. Um, the psychological report that the defense uh, submitted, I was in court on the 14th of August when the superseding indictment was uh, uh, finally given to the court. Uh, the psychological report was given to the prosecution, and they say that his psychological um, uh, uh, mental uh, uh, health is deteriorating and has been deteriorating rapidly throughout the last weeks. I was able to see him um, in court that day uh, through video link, where he was not wearing a mask, even though he has a chronic lung condition and that all the prisoners use in the prison, use that those uh, video link booths to to uh, um, speak to in, in, to speak to court. Uh, and there is a lot of COVID going around in the prison. Um, he was asked for his name and date of birth. Uh, he almost didn't remember the date of birth. Uh, and at the end of the trial, the judge very quickly uh, read out some things to him. It was so quick that I didn't even pick them up. And his, his, he um, said, I heard almost every word you said. Almost like that. Um, and I've known Julian for 10 years. He doesn't speak like that. Uh, he's obviously um, suffering a lot, mentally and physically. And what will you be listening for as the hearing is underway in the next few days? What arguments do you expect to hear, particularly from his defense? Wow, well, that's a question a little bit more for the lawyers. Um, um, I actually, I know that there's going to be a whole lot of different uh, um, uh, witnesses coming um regarding different uh, parts of the, their argument. But I mean, the fact that the, 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 the uh, new uh, indictment just came in three weeks ago, I mean, it makes it really hard for me to even think about what the arguments are gonna be. Uh, I, I'm expecting a lot of surprises actually. And um, the, the hearing is, um, is set to last in between three or four weeks, although everything 
seems to signal that it's actually going to be four weeks. So I'm sorry I can't give you much on that, but uh, I think that the you know the the lawyers and everyone else is kind of perplexed by this situation. So so it's going to be very interesting. We're going to do our very best to be reporting from it. I'm going to be uh, reporting live outside the court uh, for statements um, after lunch. Uh, on the lunch break and at the end of the day. And um, I'll also have a recap um, of the day um, streaming um, with special guests. Uh, you could visit any of the Don't Extradite Assange social media channels to uh, view that. And we'll be doing quite a lot of interviews uh, with anyone uh, who can give us an insight into this um, um, uh, into this case and we'll be happily providing that material to you guys to play as well. We appreciate that. We'll definitely be following your coverage. Juan, even the mainstream, generally pro-Western Amnesty International has declared that the Assange trial, quote, will be a key test for U.S. and U.K. justice. Why is this case so important? You frame it as a war on journalism. And do you have faith in the UK justice system to protect Assange? Well, I don't know if you've seen my film, but even the special rapporteur on torture, Niels Melser, uh, I think uh, his words are, the UK, which has a long tradition, a proud tradition, of uh, rule of law has delivered a travesty of a case where the, the, the defendant has not been able to have proper defense, where there are alleged conflicts of interest of, of uh, the judges, uh, serious alleged conflicts of interest with the, with the judges, um, where he is being psychologically tortured. I mean, this this is a travesty of a of a case and should be dismissed immediately. And that's what Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, um, Reporters Without Borders, and a whole trove of different human rights and uh, free speech organizations are uh, asking: Is the U.S. to 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 drop the charges and the UK government, which has the power to do so, to stop this immediately. You bring up the conflict of interest. I'm wondering if you can elaborate more on why exactly some are calling the judges impartiality into question here. Okay, so um, the, there, there was there's a judge called Lady uh, uh, Emma Arbuthnot. Um, she made important rulings in the case, and she um, she didn't recuse herself, but retired uh, from the uh, from being the the judge that presides the case, but is still the supervising judge uh, because of um, what she considered to be uh, um, the appearance of uh, conflict of interest. Um, the news organization Declassified UK uh, has dug into these um, alleged um, conflicts of interest and um, her husband has uh, 
close ties with several um, private contractors uh, that have been exposed by WikiLeaks, and uh, he has worked in the um, defense um, apparatus of the United Kingdom. So he's, uh, and he belongs to an organization that was calling for Assange to be imprisoned um, at the time that she was making these rulings. Her son um, owns um, part of a firm called Dark Trace, uh, which is uh, made up of uh, people from MI5 and MI6 uh, and uh, they they are proud to to show that uh, that they they are uh, uh, formed by by these people. You can go to their website darktrace.co.uk or .com or something like that. So these are these are serious uh, conflicts of interest we're talking about, and she's still super uh, supervising the uh, the case and uh, the the. Um, Judge presiding the case is uh, someone um, who is a very secretive person. There's there's definitely been somebody that has erased her entire internet history. And uh, again, um, declassified UK asked questions about uh, Emma. Uh, sorry, uh, um, uh, Judge Baratzer, um, who uh, we who. Uh, about her rulings, for example, who should what which should be public, um, and they made a freedom of information request uh, that was denied, um, and um, declassified managed to get a hold of her uh, ruling history again, which should be public uh, through a paid service uh, that uh, lawyers have access to, and she has a ninety six percent record extradition rate. To, Tur to countries that even include Turkey. So this is, you know, worrying in all sorts of respects. Absolutely. And finally, Juan, how did you first get involved with WikiLeaks and how did that decision change your trajectory and experience as a journalist? Actually, I was talking about this with a, with a friend and colleague yesterday. I'm so, I mean, luck doesn't even describe, I mean, this was just a, something that is uh, the, most, the biggest blessing, I think, in my life to, to be able to witness part of history in its making. Um, I came to the UK to study television journalism, to acquire uh, tools uh, of investigation to make documentaries. Uh, so tools that help me investigate uh, um, and tools to help me how to uh, make films. And um, I met uh, a very courageous journalist called Gavin McFadgen, who ran the Center for Investigative Journalism. And I started interning uh, with, with in, the, in that organization. And also Sarah Harrison and Joseph were doing the same thing, Joseph Farrell. Um, a few months later, they ended up in WikiLeaks and um, they gave me a call to see if I wanted to film them whilst they, they um, do, uh, did the um, planned the uh, Iraq war logs release. Um, so I had the privilege to be, to that was one of my first gigs in the UK. And, and then I haven't, I haven't stopped uh, filming them ever since because I just thought it was so important. And um, 
you know, how many people get the chance to to see a world, uh, a, an organization that changes the world so drastically that you can actually say there's a world pre-WikiLeaks and a world post-WikiLeaks. That's certainly the case. And, and that led to all sorts of surveillance on you, correct? Monitoring? That is correct. So um, I found out um, through the... Uh, Spanish case that is going on. Um, they, uh, th there's a Spanish company called UC Global who um, was hired by Ecuador to protect Assange, um, who was also um, hired by the CIA uh, through Sheldon Adelson, the owner of Las Vegas Sands and a big Trump mega donor, also Mike Pompeo uh, donor and supporter. Um, to spy on Assange uh, inside the Ecuadorian embassy. Um, they put cameras with microphones in them. Uh, they hid uh, microphones be in, in places like uh, fire extinguisher uh, in the meeting room. And Julian so used to have his... bathroom, I think. Yes, you, Julian used to have his, um, his uh, you know, increasingly he knew that there was more surveillance going on. And he used to have his private legal meetings in, in the women's toilet where um, they also hit a microphone uh, on inside a box that contained a, a Christmas tree. Uh, and they made a little hole and then they put the microphone there. Um, and Julian would turn on the faucet and, uh, you know, his lawyers thought he was exaggerating. And then those are the same lawyers that are now bringing the case in Spain. Um, to to prosecute this uh, the owner of uh, of this firm David Morales, um, who was um, who was sending the information to the United States, and we know that it was the United States because there are United States IP addresses involved uh, in this. Um, he was sending instructions from the Venetian Hotel uh, owned by Las Vegas Sands, and. In one of those emails with instructions, um, he uh, mentioned my name and my brother's name and some other key people uh, who should be um, further investigated and put on a special investigation list. Um, so our passports, our telephones, SIM cards, every time I went to the embassy at some point, uh, I, I couldn't bring my phone. I had to have a special embassy phone which I had a sim for and uh, it was a burner phone you know so because I knew that they they were opening them up and and uh, and getting the IMEI numbers and and uh, contacts and whatever whatever else they could get um, so this was increasingly you know it was increasingly more difficult to visit Julian until the point that uh, Lenin Moreno's government decided to stop all visits, um, except for legal visits, uh, remove his uh, ability to connect to the internet and use telephones. And they put uh, four, uh, 3G and 4G jammers uh, around the embassy so that no phone calls could be made. There should be a spy movie about all of this when everything is said and done, and hopefully Julian Assange is free. Uh, I am disappointed in the lack of coverage this is receiving in the United States, but 
I'm very grateful for journalists like you who stay following the story. Where can people follow your work and see your documentary one? Sorry, before answering that question, I want to go back a little bit on this uh, story about the espionage and the CIA spying on Julian. Um, it really feels like it's a movie, like it's unreal. And uh, it, it's really hard to under make people understand that this is actually real uh, to the point that, um, you know, throughout the years I've been telling my parents, you know, my phone is bugged. Um, I can't talk to you about everything. Um, you, I, you know, I know they're listening and I know that all my devices are hacked and, you know, that, that my communications are, are being surveilled. And it was only until late last year when my name popped up on a newspaper report uh, concerning the um, uh, UC Global Spanish case that my mom suddenly saw that it was real and she flipped out. I was, and she was like, oh my God, what, what is going on? And I'm like, mom, this has been going for 10 years. You know, this is real. Um, and I, I just want to mention two things. Um, apart from spying on all of the lawyers' conversations, which should be grounds enough to dismiss this whole thing in the United States, um, because he can't have a right to a fair trial if if the if the, the intelligence services know all his legal strategy um they there was also plans to have the, the leave the door open of the embassy and have a group of people kidnap him there was plans to poison julian assange and these are these, these are in written documents um that were seized uh from uzi global um, this this is uh, this is a s extremely serious matter, and uh, you know it, it deserves that type of seriousness. The United States is using tactics like Russia does, and and this is something that Americans should understand. The CIA is planning is at least planning on poisoning people, just like Russia does. And then there's outrage in the United States when when Western governments and media accuse Russia of taking these actions, but there's no mention of Assange whatsoever. I'll, I'll be surprised to see it anywhere on the major networks in the coming days. But that's why your work is so important. One, again, if you just want to let people know where they can follow your work. Sure. So... Um I'm going to be streaming live from um, from outside the embassy um, in during the lunch breaks when there's going to be statements. I'm going to be getting interview from interviews live from key players and at the end of the day uh, and also uh, end of day recap, uh, which uh, with uh, special guests. And I will also be live tweeting the event if the technology from the court allows us to understand what is going on. So follow my Twitter, JL Passarelli, P-A-S-S-A-R-E-L-L-I, um, and um, follow the Don't Extradite Assange um, social media. Juan Passarelli, thank you so much for your time today, and good luck over the next week. Thank you very much.
Thank you, Anya. It's very nice to, to, to be in your show. I really, really admire the gray zone. Oh, well, you're very kind. We admire your work as well. Thank you. 